a lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, this is David Frangioni, CEO and publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine. So excited about our new podcast, The Modern Drummer Podcast. This weekly podcast will bring modern drummer to life. Sit back and enjoy fresh, fun, and insightful conversations with today's top drummers, producers, musicians, beat makers, and craftsmen. Whether you're a professional, a hobbyist, drummer, musician, programmer, producer, or just love music, this show is for you. Every other week, the Modern Drummer Podcast will feature world-renowned producer, songwriter, and drummer, Narda Michael Walden. Narda Michael Walden's Upbeat is featured exclusively on the Modern Drummer Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is your brother, Narda Michael Walden. And we're presenting a brand new edition for Upbeat with Modern Drummer Magazine. And we're very thrilled and excited to be presenting for this week's show a gentleman I found on the YouTube. And he blew my mind. His name is Aubrey Dale. Aubrey Dale is a brilliant drummer. But what impressed me, I think, the most was he took from 1975 recording of the Cosmic Strut, My Vision Orchestra, Visions of the Emerald Beyond album. He took the piece called Cosmic Strut, wrote it out, transcribed it, and was able to play it back reading his writing. That blew my mind because I can't do that. That he could do that was incredible to me. And play it the way he plays it, I was like, wow. So I wanted to have him featured on our upbeat. So please watch and see the story of how this man's mind can work that he can do this, which is to me quite phenomenal. Aubrey Dale, everybody. Have a great, great time listening to the story of Aubrey. Bye-bye. Miracle worker on them drums. 
Yes, I do. I never know nobody to transcribe what I played on them things. I never know nobody can play what I played on them recordings. But what you do, and you touch my heart, and you touch my soul. Aubrey, Aubrey Day. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I call you the miracle worker. And we send love, we send love to Julie for saving your life. Aubrey Day. Struts. It's the first thing I heard you do, bro. How are you, my great man? Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay. I was already starstruck. Now I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> oh, I love you so much, man. I'm really impressed by you, and I want to take oh. um, a time with you, a lesson with you, so oh. I can learn some things that you know that you oh, studied in your life because you you really have studied, and you're a bachelor degree, and you know all these all the things that. Um, are really important for me to know as well. So God bless you. Oh, God yeah, bless man. you. My yeah. goodness. I, I don't know. Wow. That was an incredible intro. <laughs> was, Thank you, man. The intro of intros. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, if you don't mind, yeah. um, our, our fans want to know about you. Uh, I've, I've already said in my little song that when I heard you play Cosmic Strut and you, I mean, I mean, literally you found a way to dissect the thing, which I think is quite complicated, but, and you found it like it's a piece of cake in a way. So I was just so taken back that you can do that and play with it, with the freedom and, and the relaxation you can play with. I'm like blown, blown away by your playing. Oh my God. And uh, wow. so I want to just hear from you, anything you want to say to our listeners and our fans today? Well, you know, as far as the, the transcribing, it's, well, the first thing is, you know, I've been playing a real long time uh, I used to live in America. I live in Canada now. I live outside Toronto. I used to live in uh, New York City. And, uh, you know, all the playing I did, and it was a very hectic, busy, fast life, as you're well aware of, yeah. right? Yeah. Right around the world and so forth. Yeah. And I never took the time, even though I gained a lot of the, you know, some of the skills to do, as you said, to do what I do, I kind of put it like in a filing cabinet and was just out there playing, you know? Mm. And um, I guess the last like five years, I was I said to myself, you know what, you should really go back mm-hmm. and listen to your heroes mm. and uh, and see what they were really what what, what were they doing, you know, mm-hmm. what was really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied with John Riley at mm-hmm. Manhattan School of Music. Mm-hmm. You, you probably know, and um, he always said to me, you know, uh, transcribing is like putting on someone's coat. Right. You know, it's like you go up to that that person, hey, can I borrow your coat for a minute? You know, <laughs> you put it on and it's, <clears throat> you know, kind of feels different because everyone's structure is different. You know, mm-hmm. some people are big, short, large, skinny. Mm-hmm. 
and then it's, and it's interesting and wow you this is how you wear your coat this is wow this is this is nice mm -hmm. and you might go you know i'm gonna get a coat that has some of those features mm -hmm. i'm gonna look for a coat like that has some of those oh let me try your coat on let me try your coat on you know so i started to transcribe more and more and he's right that's exactly how it feels you know so it feels like you're you're experiencing what that drummer captured at that moment a recording is just a a snapshot in time right yes yes it's just a snapshot so it's like at that time that drummer felt this way and played these these notes and had this spirit and this feeling and you know when you do that you, you take a little piece of that with you i mean you can't be that person you can't play like that person but you get a sense of how they yes. think and feel yes so you know of course i'm i'm perusing through the drummers you know art taylor steve smith billy cobb i'm going through all these and then i says wait a minute <laughs> one day i know what i gotta check out the rat of michael walden so uh i sat down with my favorite song on visions of the Emble beyond cosmic strut at the time not knowing that it was your song mm -hmm. i didn't know that because i because on the album cover uh children there's these things called records they come right exactly <laughs> <laughs> like they're, they're big they have liner notes it's right. concept but you know, on the there were the line notes were very sparse on my edition, and it didn't say who wrote what, right? So uh, only found that out from you. And uh, oh, by the way, I before I keep going with this whole thing, I just want to give a huge shout out to Grant Calvin Weston, oh. our mutual friend. Okay, great, great, yeah, great. Putting you in touch with me. Mm -hmm. That brother is close to my heart. And oh. I'm just really happy that, you know, he saw fit to give you a heads up. <laughs> Very good. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. You know? But uh, yeah, so I came across Cosmic Strut. And believe me, actually, it, it's not a simple feat. You made it sound like I just breezed through it. <laughs> it's not just breeze through it. Okay. You know, uh, it, you know I, I, it was exciting to me because I, I could hear what you were doing and more than what you were doing, but what you were feeling. You were very young at that time, right? Yeah, uh, we had just turned, I think, twenty-two. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Like and that and was the was first song I ever ever had on record. Is Cosmic Strut the okay. first song on record? Yeah. And you must have been just like it's almost like a dream. I just I could hear your excitement. I could hear. Oh, yes. How yes, because at that time we had just finished big tour. The first album was Apocalypse from Bobby's Orchestra in the '74 right. for me, and then right. we toured. And the touring really gave me strength and my confidence ah. uh, to really come strong. So when we made the now the second album, Visions of the Emerald Beyond, we're now in Jimi Hendrix studio, Electric ah. Ladyland Studios, with Ken Scott, the great Beatle engineer, and of course John McLaughlin, the great you know producer, songwriter, visionary genius. And all these songs he's bringing in that on that album, and he allowed me to bring in the Cosmic Strut, and we first cut it on the clavinet. And he played guitar with Jean-Luc Ponty on violin and Ralph Armstrong on bass. Yeah, and then yeah. I overdubbed drums. And uh, it was just a really oh. fa a fantastic time in my life because I felt like a tiger. I felt like I could just really yeah. just come out. You know, when you when you tour and you play with Mavishnu or yeah. like that, then you really get your strength and your feeling up. 
So yeah, that album, yeah. I was, I came on kind of strong. That's what it was. What it, it was. <laughs> That's what it was. It's and it's a good thing. <laughs> and it's a good thing. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you. So it just had this fire that is. So I so I wanted to pull apart, you know, more technically what was going on, and it's so exciting to me just to to see how you you like launch into these roles, and it, it I could just tell that it was from here, not from here. Mm. You know, that's what I could. That's what I took from that performance, especially. So I I just you know went through it and just took my time. <clears throat> you know, figuring out the sticking and, uh, and just doing that was interesting just to see sort of where you were at, you know, yes. like in terms of your level and, and what you were doing at that time and see just how you, how you, not just how you felt behind the drums, like from emotionally, but technically some of the things that you were working on, you know, yes. I, I could really hear it. Yes. It really came through clean and clear of my brother. Thank you so much, Aubrey. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much, Aubrey. Yeah. Well, Aubrey, God bless you, man. Um, tell us about your love of the drum, how you first got started with the whole thing. I know you're, you're a bit of a prodigy playing accordion and piano when you're five years old. So yeah. talk about your, just your basic early life for, mo for a moment, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, we're, uh, my family's uh, first generation to Canada. We moved, okay. uh, first of all, dig this, we moved to northern Alberta from oh. Jamaica. So you can just imagine that landing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it was my first memories of, of a, being a very young child is seeing snow out the window of the airplane Wow, coming from Jamaica. So that yeah, right. moved to Montreal <clears throat> and uh, I grew up in a, in a suburb of Montreal called Point Claire. Okay. Uh, and uh, so to be honest, you know, my, my childhood was pretty great. Actually, my mom was a teacher. A high school teacher and my dad was in real estate a friend of mm -hmm. his from jamaica had a real estate company and he just slipped into that and you know we had the leave it to beaver lifestyle except for the <laughs> black <Yeah. laughs> that was the only difference yeah and we had accents which i yeah. lost very quickly <laughs> okay you know and uh so you know coming up playing the according as you said and round 13 I don't know where it, where it came from because I didn't really pay attention to the drums as a young kid, mm -hmm. but suddenly it's all I could think about. I can't explain it. Mm -hmm. Not only was it all I could think about, but I, I just knew how to do it. Like, mm -hmm. I just knew how to play. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine brought over a, a kick drum and a snare drum and, and gave me some sticks and we played uh, Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis Presley. Wow. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? <clears throat> and I knew the shuffle. Yeah, <clears throat> yes, Pardon yes. me. I knew how to play a shuffle just from hearing it. And then when I got a hi-hat, I knew what to do with that. It was really weird, you know? It was like mm -hmm. I'd played it before. That probably happened to you too. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, so I had my, my high school band with my friends and we were learning Led Zeppelin songs and Black Sabbath songs and, you know, uh, Bad Company songs. Right. Uh, took our shots at Van Halen and even Rush, you know, I learned how to play 2112. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I like to hear those tapes now. I wonder how I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, and then my mom, because she's a teacher, is like, okay, so this drumming thing clearly is something you got to do. So she sent me the McGill Conservatory, bless her. And that's where I started to really get into 
into music properly, ear training and theory. And so by the time I, you know, went to McGill, uh, to university, I'd done a lot of that. So I found university not easy, but I had a foundation. So it wasn't mm -hmm. axing, which means that I could play more. Right. And believe it or not, I didn't really play the drums. I studied classical percussion. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Timpani yeah. and glockenspiels yeah. and things. Yeah, wonderful. That was, that was it. I, did, I didn't even think I was going to be a drummer, you know. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to stay in that world. And, and I got to be honest, you know, to my classical brothers and sisters, it was a tough, uh, what would I say, a tough uh, social makeup, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, for a black person in that world. For those who stuck it out and are successful, you know, that's a blessing, but it wasn't easy, you know, okay. so I, I decided I was going to play the drums okay. and I got sort of go back home and, you know, cause I'd been listening to drummers like you, Billy Cobham, Tony Williams, Art Blakey. Uh, I had a teacher when I was around, uh, 15, 16, used to take me to see Art Blakey when he came through oh, town. Oh, you saw him? Yeah, you know, you like, saw him. and he had, because he, Art Blakey and Elvin, he knew Elvin really well. My teacher's name was Ronnie Page. And he would sit me in, there was like, in this place, it was called the Rising Sun. Like, you know, one of those really small mm -hmm. clubs, probably fit 50 people, 60 yeah. people. Yeah. And Elvin and his groups in there, and there was a seat that was right near the hi hat, much mm -hmm. like in the Vanguard. You know, the Village Vanguard, yes. they have that mm -hmm. bench, they have that bench. And he would sit me in that seat. So I'd be about you know, four or five feet from Elvin's hi hat. So I'd oh. see everything. And, you know, I didn't really get what he was doing, but I knew I could, I could key into the energy and the, I could key into it. I said, mm -hmm. that's it. I have to get to that right. somehow. This mm -hmm. is, that's like the end of the story. I have to get there somehow. So, you know, that was a huge influence on me and seeing Art Blakey as well. And Tony Williams too, used to come to town. Well, how old would you be now? Just so I'm understanding, so how like old are between, you? Between 15 and 18. Wow, I'm prime years, the prime years. Yeah, and, uh, and a lot of my friends were really into drummers and, and stuff and we used to, you know, <laughs> you'd have like boom boxes with uh, Elvin in it, cranking in the car, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, weather mm -hmm. report. You know, mm -hmm. I was really into Peter Erskine and yes. Omar. Yes. Uh, and of course, Mahavishnu, between you and Billy, just, you know, wore those records out. Just checking. How did you go? Because see, first on, you mentioned like Bad Company and the more the rock stuff, right? Yeah. But then now, then you said, then you saw our Blakey, you saw Elvin. How did you kind of go into more of the jazz side from all the rock you were into? It was like, it was like a switch, you know, because mm -hmm. you're right. I, I was really into John Bonham, really mm -hmm. into John Bonham and really into Neil Peart, you know, like yeah. massively. I even, you know, when I was in school, I'd, I'd put, you know, uh, chimes behind me and I'd have orchestra bells and I'd get, you know, bell trees, just like he used to use. And we'd write these little songs that would have that stuff in it. I was really into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, I'm sure a lot of guys were, you know, people were in the suburbs, especially. And uh, then you know, I just, my sister, this is like my sister, my late sister, Charmaine, she, she was very intense, this woman. So she would come into the room and look at me, you know, checking out one of those drummers and go, okay. Mm -hmm. 
so you want to be a drummer, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. She come back the next day and she had an Anthony Braxton, Max Roach record. Put that and says, listen to that and then leave the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like her thing. And then she'd come back like a few months later and gives me, she gave me this record called Drum Night at Birdland. Right. Mark Blakey, Elvin Jones, Charlie Persip, and Philly Joe doing like drone battles on it. Wow. Put that up, listen to that. Come back a few months later, three quartets. Come back a few months later. She was just like that. She just kept, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you want to be a drummer, you got to listen to this. And my sister's not a musician. She was not a musician. She's just a music lover, you know. So it's really her. So then that was the turning point where I would absorb the rock side. I, I never left that. And then I would also be starting to absorb this other side. And, you know, I, I would seek out what that playing is. What is what's going on there? Mm-hmm. So I decided to take a more academic route to it. You know, in Montreal, I went through McGill and I decided to move to New York. By then I married Julie. What, what year and how old would you be? So I'd have been in my uh, early 20s, Got it. early 20s, and that would have been the late 80s, so like 88, I moved mm-hmm. to New York City. Okay. And we both, and she, she came and went back to finish McGill, but I stayed and went through Manhattan School. In fact, interesting story with going to Manhattan School of Music. When I went there, the very first musician I met in New York City, although I had been going there because I have family in New York, I have okay. um, my aunts and cousins and stuff, so I used to go there a lot, but to go to play music, the first person I met was Gregory Hutchinson, the drummer, mm-hmm. okay. first guy. And uh, so we became friends. Uh, I haven't seen him in a while, so I owe him many calls. <laughs> but, you know, he, uh, he's gone on to become this, you know, bebop star, and rightly so. He was a star then, he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I went through, uh, so that had been early 80s, went through Manhattan School of Music, and uh, ended up staying in New York, you know, started to get things going there. And uh, yeah, that's kind of what it was. I met uh, James Bud Almer, early 90s, started to tour with him. Met John Popper, toured on the rock side with him. Uh, I used to play with a guy named Hassan Hakmoon, uh, who is a great African uh, Gimbri or Santir player. Wow and play with him so you know the whole thing kind of started at that point. yeah so go back to, to james blood uh I, I, what, what about him how, how did that connect well he's, he's a character he's yeah <laughs> he's a character and he's become such a dear friend over the years okay you know yeah he comes out of ornette ornette coleman you know the the master and harmelodic kings kings i guess you would say they blood with his guitar work and his ability to do alternate tunings and stuff. As far as my participation, I, I met him very young. So I'd have been about 25 or something like that. Okay. Okay. You know, and, uh, uh, it was, um, he, he likes obviously at that time, he liked to get young musicians like he did with Calvin, you know, mm-hmm. young, <laughs> I can mold them. That yes. kind of attitude. Okay. And he would rehearse for hours in his loft in Soho. Me and a great bass player by the name of uh, Mark Peterson, okay, and, uh, who's still in New York, still on the scene there, and we would, he would just take us through his concept of how, 
how he saw music. And it wasn't what I'd learned in school, you know, like uh, that was the first time I realized that you really learn after school. School is just a place that yeah. you get, it's like information. Yes. You get information and mm -hmm. you can't, you don't have enough time to assimilate that information in that short period. You get information and then it's like I said, you put it in a file cabinet and over the rest of your life, you refer to it. But the real learning, like what happened to you with Mahavishnu, is out in the road, mm -hmm. right? How to, how to deal with people in a group, how to travel, how to uh, deal with, uh, dealing with exhaustion, yes. how to, all the stuff that you gotta understand when you're playing in that. And then also giving your very best self every gig. Yes. Your very best self. So what's one thing you can say that uh, James Blood uh, Elmer taught you or and shared with you, inspired in you that we can we can latch on to at this time of our lives. Yeah, I would say the the biggest thing because I'm a Virgo. Okay, I'm a Virgo, so I like I try I strive for organization. My, <laughs> my son Michael is uh, September Virgo? the third Virgo. Yeah, September so I understand. The yeah. What day, what day are you? 17. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, um, so I'm used to things being measured and organized. And, you know, if this is section A, when we come back to it, it'll be this way. And I can expect mm -hmm. these things. If this is section right. B, you know, if, if, you know if, if the room is set up a certain way, when I come back tomorrow, we set up that way. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that uh, James Budd taught me was to take life in a flexible way and through music, if something's happening at the moment, that's what's happening. Forget about what we planned. Yeah, that's right. Or what's supposed to be there. This is what it is right now. Stay here with me now <laughs> and bring all forces to bear on the present in the music. Regardless if you're going through a, a whole section that is completely scripted or whether you're going through something that you've been playing every night a certain way with a mm -hmm. certain groove. Yeah. You know, he'll, he, he would do things where <laughs> he would re we'd rehearse like a certain song with a certain feel and we'd work on it like for hours. Yeah. Days even. Days even. Days. <laughs> Days. <laughs> and then we'd hit that stage in like Vienna or something. Yeah. And he would, he would call the song. And you can always see that we're ready for that thing. And <laughs> he would come in at a totally different tempo, mm -hmm. different key, mm -hmm. different feel. The melody's still there, mm -hmm. but everything else is different. And when I was younger, that was terrible. I mean, there's a, whatever, there's a couple of thousand people in front of you. Yes. And you're a kid, basically. And you, I used to feel really hung out to dry at first, at first. And then as I, I played with him more and more, I started to understand. He wanted that spark. He wanted that energy. Mm -hmm. and, and I learned how to dig in deeper during those moments. Wow. You know, that's, and, that's a great lesson. Yeah. And it was something that, that uh, instead of being irritated or, or drugged about it or terrified by it, I, I would just kind of now these days is it's, it's the best. I look mm -hmm. forward to those moments. Mm -hmm. You know, he's much older now, so it doesn't have quite the zing to it. But mm -hmm. 
you know, he's 80, 80 years yeah. old. Okay. Yeah. But give, you know, give, him, give him our love. If you I see him swear. again, give him our love. Yeah. He, he checks this out. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to have a blast out of it. But, okay. you know, I, I just remember those early days, boy, I mean, I, I'd be like, why, why is he persecuting me like this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, used to, mm-hmm. I used to think. Yeah. And then, but yeah, that's the thing I would take away is just, you know, keep yourself flexible, keep yourself ready to move. Don't be so yeah. entrenched in what has been scripted because life isn't like that, right? You get up, mm-hmm. you go, you take a shower, you get dressed, you go out the door, you have a plan to go to the grocery store, but lo and behold, traffic, mm-hmm. there's a blockage. You got to find another route. You still get to the store, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, take another route. You get to the store. Mm-hmm. That kind of mentality. And that was difficult for me come from a classical background, as you could imagine, and being Virgo. <laughs> now, what about uh, the great harmonica player, John, who we admire from Blues Traveler? How did you meet him? What happened? And tell us about your work with him, because he's a phenomenon. He is. Yeah, yeah. John, um, I met John Popper from yeah. friends I had. Well, to back up a little bit, I used to work with a band called uh, God Street Wine, mm-hmm. uh, and they were a jam band, are a jam band. They're still out there, I think. Okay. I know at least the leader is Lil Faber. I don't know if I say the word leader because they were kind of a, you know, they were a collab kind of group. Beautiful yeah. people, beautiful people. And most of them were friends of mine from Manhattan School of Music. So we, yeah. we'd known each other. I was in ensembles with some of them, like, uh, you know, Aaron Lieberman and uh, whose dad was a great trumpet player and low favor and we we so we knew each other and uh they asked me to play them so i i toured them for i don't know a year i think might have been a year or two and while i was on the road with them i kind of got into that jam band scene so my name got to uh, oh yeah because um i went to school with a keyboard player by the name of rob clores who is a great vintage keyboard player now his specialty is b3 and mm-hmm. uh, clavinet and if you know if you mm-hmm. want vintage sounds he's the man okay pulled me on this gig with john which was a real surprise to me because i loved john popper before i met him you know okay. I, I hear him on the stern show and stuff he's a really funny guy and and a just a virtuoso in every way and uh i want to tell you what he is one of the nicest people Mm-hmm. I have ever met. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you know, he was, you know, he had his issues at the time. He, uh, a member of his uh, blues driver had passed away, uh, the bass player, which for some reason, all I have is the name Billy and I'm, all the blues travelers clients going to get mad at me now, but I can't mm-hmm. remember his last name, okay. but uh, he had passed away. So he was in this really difficult time and he'd made mm-hmm. this really lovely record called Zygo. Mm-hmm. And they set out, we set out on this national tour with it. And uh, so, you know, he was kind of hurting. He'd lost one of his best friends. And so we were there to support him through that. And he was uh, uh, just like an amazing guy, you know, really yeah. generous, treated us really well. Um, you know, uh, I even heard from him about a couple of, uh, Few months ago, I reached out to him. Uh, was it? I, I was. He used to say that have the song called "Soul de la Canadienne," the soul of the Canadian, right? And he'd always have this big, hilarious skit he did before we played the song, where he'd go, "Yeah," and then the, then the army from Canada came down and, 
<laughs> this whole made up conflict between the US and Canada. So when, you know, the border shut down and all the stress of the last four years, I call him and says, hey, you're right. I think we're going to war soon. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, he was awesome. I mean, he was just a, and, and his music was uh, interesting. Interesting thing with him that I learned, you know, especially him coming from a, a like a louder rock blues environment. Yeah. Believe it or not, John liked to play kind of on the quiet side, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. surprisingly. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he, his, his trip was if we can keep it down, which is great advice, but keep the energy up, like let the house make, make the volume happen. Let it be loud out there. Mm-hmm. And if you want more, you know, ask the martyr man for more, but see if you can back off a bit. So that was a bit of a challenge to okay. give it the, the feel like you're really digging in. Yeah. But just come back a bit. Mm-hmm. Just a bit. Just pull back. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really effective. Okay. Overall. Yeah. And it, it taught yeah. me a lot. I mean, it's very, uh, very dynamic player, you know, yes. like you have to pay attention to dynamics in that environment, in that song form, rock blues environment, which was really interesting to me because most loud groups, they kind of turn up the guitars and you and I have to kind of dig in, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dig in. So it was really interesting in that in that respect. I want to just because uh, also um, the fact that you sat next to the Hyatt of Alvin and you saw Art Blake and you saw Tony, those three in particular, just say something quick that you learned energy-wise or anything you want to say that you learned from either or, or all three of them. I just oh, want to hear something because you were just so close to seeing that scene at that time. What I did pick up, what I did pick up from that, yeah. every note mm-hmm. counts. Mm-hmm. That sounds obvious, mm-hmm. but until I saw that, I didn't really get that. Every single note count everything is like and you've heard this play it like it's your last note and until i saw that i kind of i got okay yeah play with intensity whatever you know i didn't take it quite that seriously until i saw that and that's what they did their whole lives Mm -hmm. like they played like their very life depended on it that night yeah you know i know drummers have heard that and people, they teach that in school. They tell you, play like with your last note. But when I saw that, I saw what they meant spiritually. Mm-hmm. I saw what they meant. And that's not an easy thing to do night after night. Mm-hmm. Because your life, you carry your life on your back, right? Mm-hmm. And to, to put that aside for whatever long your set or your show is, and completely give 110% to that performance, that's what I got. You know, Wow, that's beautiful. All of them. Okay. I mean, okay. Elvin was particularly intense like that. You know, the, the, he'd be playing like, you know, medium swing, quiet. And he'd be, the grunting was almost louder than the music. He was mm-hmm. so intense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you felt, you can feel the, the, the feel was so strong internally. And every note would just sit in a certain way in that. Mm-hmm. You know, in that elven way, mm-hmm. where the where the accents will flow as they flow, and he felt it, it's it's hard to describe in words, but yeah. that's what I got from that. Yeah, you know, it hits me that 
you have the ability to be able to break down what people play in transcription and emotion, you would be an excellent person to make a DVD perhaps. It just says, let me show you young drummers and even old drummers snippets of these great people who we all have learned to love. Mm -hmm. What makes their molecule DNA click? Here's right. a snippet of each one I've transcribed and we're gonna play it and show you the differences of each person. So we can kind of go, whoa, because we all kind of get an idea, but you doing that, the way you can do, which I now know you can do, yeah. pretty, pretty phenomenal. Oh, I appreciate that. Pretty yeah. phenomenal, man. Yeah, I mean like back, like uh, an AB, like back to back kind of thing. Yes, yes. Here's 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 a a minute or four more of, of, of Art Blakey, uh, something that he's played. Here's another minute of Elvin, transcribe yeah. and let's play it. Here's another moment of, of Tony. Here's a moment of whatever that you feel inspired to do. It's just oh, pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's pretty incredible. Take a note. <laughs> because in our lifetimes, we've seen these things. It's a pretty incredible uh, time to be on the planet. It and is. You could say, I sat next to Elvin's hi-hat. I sat next to Art Blake. I sat next to Tony. That's pretty incredible. That's, that's I, I, I haven't sat next to those guys. Yeah. Well, you, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just telling you, <clears throat> the, uh, it's it, pretty incredible. The challenging thing now, especially, you know, this idea of being close to a great musician while they're performing is becoming more and more alien, I think. Right. In a lot of ways. Right. In some ways not. But, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, I have a teaching studio. I teach a lot of kids and teenagers. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they relate to music through technology, mm -hmm. through YouTube and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, social media. So they are getting a sense of what's happening, but there's nothing like being in a room. <laughs> right, exactly. There's nothing can right. replace that. Yeah. I think that's our savior as, as, as entertainers and musicians and artists is that uh, for those who are able to project at a high level live, we'll always crave that, we'll always crave that. And, yeah. You know, trying to get close to something like that is uh, is really important. That's that's harder in certain genres with certain artists because the spectacle is so large. You know, it wouldn't be great to, you know, sit in a club that holds fifty people and check out you too. You know, <laughs> that would be right. fascinating. Yeah, right. For instance, and that yes. probably will be impossible for an average person. So I do feel fortunate to have seen those those drummers. Yeah. When I was young, you yeah. know, really close up and and I was so shy. I wish I was a little older because I was just too shy to talk to them after, you know, I was a kid. So it was like I get bombarded by this thing and sit in the corner and then kind of just try to stay quiet and not get in the way. Of course, now I would I would ask them questions and see what's going on, you know, but uh, that's the other thing, too, is. I, I hope that younger drummers uh, don't get sucked into just the the shiniest rock, mm. you know. Whoever that whoever has the golden sticks at the at this time, mm -hmm. you know, to try to to go back, go back as far back as you can, and try to understand the drummers from long long mm -hmm. past, because yes. that shiny rock that you're checking out carefully, yeah is using all that material from, you know, 1910, <laughs> you, you know, you know what I'm saying? 
right? Somewhere that material is coming into the shiny rocks playing or the golden stick person, right? Yes. So uh, I think that's really important uh, as you obviously did and most drummers did to look back and see what, what do those guys do? What do those people do? How did they create this? Like, it, it's, really, uh, it's really quite genius. Mm -hmm. I heard a story that Chick Webb, who's monumental in the, Absolutely. in the development of the swing and jazz drum era, even where Buddy Rich mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. bowed down to say, my God, this man, and he was tiny, he was tiny. so short. Yeah. But he would inspire Art Blakey with a, with a drum roll and say, Art, just go and play the drum roll. Just just that. Just play the drum roll. No, keep at it. Just keep at it. Mm -hmm. So this Chick Webb guy had yes. superior chops. I mean, great swing availability, but he mm -hmm. was really technical proficient. You know? Absolutely. I wish yeah. there was more material. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. But, well, quite frankly, now, I, I've discovered something now. It's pretty incredible. You can yeah. go, and there's a whole song after song after song of Chick Webb's writing and Ella Fitzgerald singing and the band playing. Really? Mm -hmm. On iTunes, you can find some stuff. Uh, I found some CD stuff. There is stuff on Chick Webb. And I was like blown away by this guy. Wow. I, I never knew anything about him. But right. Then you start really like, damn, that whole era was like enamored with this guy. To yeah. the point, there was a big band battle between him, right. his band, and the band of um, Benny Goodman, I believe, with Gene Krupa right. on the drums. That's right. And Gene they battled. Gene you know what I mean? They battled, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just saying, I mean, I wasn't around. I'm too young for that some of that stuff. But yes. God dang, man. I'm, just, I'm, I'm a student. I'm a student, you know. Terrifying, right? Terrifying. Beautiful. And then you have to wonder, well, where did his vocabulary come yeah. from? Yeah. That's, that's like another thing. It's like, how did... What, did he just beam in from space? Like, yeah, that, that's a good point. They do beam in from space with all those chops and all that knowledge to show us the way. Yeah, well, and now it's our job to keep it going. They are. They are. <laughs> I had a teacher here in Canada. Yeah, who the Canadian drummers know uh, his name was Jim Blackley, Scott. Okay, okay. He, he was just an incredible soul and he influenced some of the best players from up here. Yeah. And uh, that's what he would say, you know, if you ever encounter someone who is at that genius level, yeah, yeah. they're just a gift. That's right. That's what they are. They're just that's gifts right. for us and they are to be cherished as such. That's right. You know, and to learn, you're right. <laughs> so here, let, let's, let's scoot forward to you uh, with my man on the guitar, uh, Vernon Reed, who oh. we love and adore. So now what are you doing with him? What's happening with him? Well, you know, fact, uh, I, talked to him a couple of months ago you know we we check in from time to time through this pandemic you know the the last thing I was going to do before the you know the hammer came down so to speak mm -hmm. was I was uh, we were planning to do uh, a record with James Bud Almer we're in a band with him he has a blues project called Memphis Blood Okay. And it's been going since uh, 2001, as a matter of okay. fact. And it was nominated for a Grammy that year and everything. It was a really okay. nice project. We did it at uh, Sun Studios in Memphis. Oh, the, the Sun Studios. Yeah. The Sun How was Studios. that? Was that cool? Incredible. I, it was, it was mind blowing. You know, it's a little, little room, right? 
and it's got like the parquet floor from the 50s checkered part and that uh that they don't use it anymore but the soundproofing that uh, i think is asbestos mm -hmm. act <laughs> you know mm -hmm. that has the white holes in it if you, yeah. you know that that kind of yeah. sound mm -hmm. lines the whole room right it lines the whole room the room looks like it's about oh i give it about 25 feet by 16 feet so it's not okay. big not okay. big and it had all the pictures of like elvis and little richard and you know all the artists that had performed and the, the upright piano was still there. I'm, I'm sure it's not the same one, but then upright piano in the corner and they'd have, uh, you know, pictures where Elvis would sing and mm -hmm. <laughs> it was deep. Mm -hmm. They had a new board in there. Um, okay. Wasn't digital, but it was, uh, and I think we did it to two inch tape. I think we did it to two inch tape. If, I think so. Yeah. Which is something, eh? For back mm -hmm. that time. And, uh, it was it was an incredible experience to be in a room like that and you understand why those records sounded so good it's the room yeah the room with this it was just set up just so that it, the room itself had a sound which i know you know you have mm -hmm. big studios all over the world have a certain sound and they have people come in there and tweak it at the highest level i think this was a bunch of guys just trying to get some records made <laughs> i don't yeah. think yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't so scientifically put together. Yeah, it just right. sounded good. Mm -hmm. So anyways, we're, I'm sorry, we're doing a, we're going to do another, our, another record. Uh, and then the, the hammer fell down. So I'm hoping uh, that we can pick that project up again once things open up, once the border opens up. Okay. And otherwise, other than that, you know, Vernon uh, has been a great supporter of mine. One-on-one, mm -hmm. -on -one. and he's come up to Toronto to play several times in groups that I've had up here, and uh, they've always been a ton of fun. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, we did a record with some buddies up, of mine up here uh, called um, Thirteen Go. Is the name of the project Thirteen Go? Domestic Tranquility is the name of the the record, and he produced that. He produced that and played on it. And what is uh, what is 13 go what does it mean why do you have this this name 13 go the number 13 yeah is yeah enough which perks everyone's ear up because it has the uh the moniker of being bad luck mm -hmm. but in truth it really isn't if you really get deeper into it mm -hmm. it also th there's a myriad of reasons why it's not necessarily bad luck and also we were trying to say well every culture has a number or a color or something mm -hmm. that has that moniker I, I think in some in some cultures the number three is a problem mm -hmm. but you and i have no problem with number three mm -hmm. for instance mm -hmm. so you know we're trying to draw attention more to that you know it's just a number okay. Okay. <laughs> ultimately so this, you know, is, this, this is the name of the new album the new group of the new of the new group okay okay and who is the group so i understand it who is 13 go so there's myself there's yeah. a great bass player in toronto who is by, goes by the name of ian de souza i like saying cool. it too because it... <laughs> okay <laughs> right. okay and uh and uh, a great friend uh guitar player's name is kim ratcliffe okay 
And he's been on the, Tim has been on the Toronto scene for many, many, many years. He's one of the stalwarts up here. And the thing I like about Kim is that he has his feet firmly placed in the bebop camp mm-hmm. and in the, the more rock fusion pop camp. Okay. And I really like that about him because, you know, you can bring anything to him and his ears perk up. It's one of those like, oh, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he, right away, he knows what to do, which I really appreciate. And then Vernon on top of that. So and Vernon is part of the group. Well, not officially a part of the group, but just producing or what's he doing? He produced it. He produced, he produced that record. And, you know, my goal is to, is to get that group out there on the road. And now, uh, is this the group you're looking for the agent for you mentioned? That's right. So we're looking for an agent for the 13 go. Trying to, especially over in, in Europe, I, you know, it's, it's the landscape has changed so much. Okay. And when I used to tour there a lot in the 90s and 2000s and stuff. Okay. So, you know, uh, things change. Festival, the people who had the festivals change. Yes. Everything changes. It's like a new world in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then with the pandemic, it, it put everything on hold. Mm-hmm. So I see that possibly as a positive yeah. in starting back up again. That's right. right. So well, it, put, put out in the universe what you want. You want a European agent for the band 13 go. And what is your dream and your fantasy? Just hit it. Honestly, yeah, be able to play at the highest level in my group around the world. I really do love performing. I really do to maintain my whole teaching world. And and to stay out there, you know, that's really it. It's nothing. There's nothing. You know, they say you should reach for the impossible. But the thing is, I've already done a lot of this stuff. So I know it's possible. Mm-hmm. I just want to do it. Yeah. I want it to be my music. I want it to be my project. Okay. You know, I've been a sideman my whole life, which I love, and I will continue to do that. Mm-hmm. But I also want to have my project out there. Okay. Uh, well, we I bless you with, with love. The fact that you've done such wonderful things, your karma is pure. Your karma is wonderful. Appreciate so God it. and angels, everything around you is coming to fruition. So just, <laughs> just, just keep playing on that. Keep working toward it. Yeah, and it's gonna happen. It is happening. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna keep one foot in front of the other. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Aubrey, um, I want in closing that you say anything you want to say to our listeners, to inspire us at this time. Anything you want to say, the floor is yours. Oh. <laughs> well. Uh, well, what would I say? Especially after meeting you, <laughs> I would just say, you know, the road is gonna be tough. Uh, I, I spent uh, many years quite ill, as you alluded to, from my lovely wife. I had a kidney transplant, and uh, she saved me in that respect. Uh, so, you know, when you start to face your demise as a young person, you start to appreciate, well, you try to appreciate the most important things that you can. So regardless of your ambition, ultimately, you need to you know, love the people you love wholeheartedly and work your hardest to something positive and inspire mm-hmm. others. Don't be afraid to give. That's all I really try to do. I try to give what I know mm-hmm. because I wish people had given me more in music and many did. And because they did, I was able to, for instance, play Cosmic Strut. Wow, man, cool. And because you played that and played it well, I'm on this platform of upbeat 
Modern Drawer Magazine speaking with you. I was okay. so impressed. Just to say it again to all the listeners and fans, I was so impressed by you. You're not only you're playing, but you could read that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I, I can't do that. Oh. So the fact that you can do that is like, whoa, that's mind blowing to me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can. For all those who don't know, you can find that on my YouTube channel. Aubrey, yes, Aubrey Drummond. <laughs> please visit. I'm putting those videos out there and. You'll find stuff from all kinds of guys, from you know Philly Joe, uh, Tony. Uh, I just did a thing on Max Roach, uh, Sandu. That's somebody. Wow, wow. painter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like that guy. He paint. He used to paint. Oh, yeah. He's beautiful, beautiful. Yes. yes. So please visit me there, uh, and uh, don't hesitate to reach out. I love hearing from drummers. Uh, a lot of people reach out. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of that. How do they reach out? Let's give us the, the, the best way to find you. Uh, you can get me on Instagram directly on YouTube. You can comment and I'll, I'll hit you back. And I have a, a Facebook page, Aubrey Dale. You can reach me there as well. You can also reach me on my Facebook group, Aubrey Drum Lessons. Mm-hmm. So multiple platforms you can check me out. Yeah. Aubrey, you're, you're incredible. And then you're, you're being so kind to me. I asked you, would you transcribe uh, Eternity's Breath Part One? from? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you started doing that. So thank you for that. Well, I'm looking I'm forward pressing, to hearing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing it yesterday. I was going, oh, oh my goodness, okay. <laughs> That's a nice thing for the, we used to play the, the, the two bass drums back then. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Did, uh, you had them tuned differently, am I correct? Get that correct? Always, yeah, I had tuned the low, uh, on the left side, lower yeah. to be yeah. um, more the under earth. Yeah, and, yeah. In, fact, in concert, I really like to use it because you know you got you got your right, you know your your jab. But when you go to that left, you, it's like it's meant meant to be like a hmm. yeah, starting some stuff. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're yeah. gonna start some stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's like a sub thing happening. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They even captured. Oh man. That, that was a Gretsch kit, right, back then? Yes, yes. It's a Gretsch kit that was designed for me uh, to be a strong and powerful and loud. So it was painted on the inside with double coating of this enamel shellacking that made it really come to life, like, pow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what it is. Because that recording, yeah. Visions, that record, and also Apocalypse, mm-hmm. the way the drums cut, like it just perked my ear up, especially like the kick drums. Man, you know, it 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 was really unique in, in drum sounds of that time. I have to thank Frank's drum shop, Frankie Polito in uh, in New York. And oh. he had this gentleman working there who knew how to give me the sound that I needed for the Mahavishnu Orchestra. You know, you right. couldn't just 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 play any drum. You had to have a certain thought about what will cut. And right. they and they put their mind to it, and they gave me. They said, "If you take this this drum and you we paint it for you twice round, it will give it a an intensity that you're looking for." Right. And, and they nailed it. They so really Frank's drum shop. You have to thank Frank's drum shop. That's so interesting. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. uh, and you uh, there's some live footage of you too, and that same sound it's like boom, like it gave you an immediate presence. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I'm getting all this, all this backstage stuff. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Aubrey, I want to thank you for your, your time today and for your love. And, and we, we're here to support you. I want to see more of you. I want you to come down and visit our studio. Oh, and um, I'd love to have a lesson with you. So oh. get down here when you can. Oh, we'll have and, a lesson. Uh, yes. And just, <laughs> just anything that you need of us, we're here for you. I'm a big fan of yours. And I'm just so happy that you took upon you to, to learn a piece of ours so I can go, whoa, now you're really in my heart. So God bless you, man. And anything you might need of us, let us know. And I want all the people around the world to really know that Aubrey, Aubrey Dale is someone in my heart that I really am impressed by, not only by his playing, but as a person. And uh, I think you have it all going on. And we just want to make sure that for the futures, 13 Go gets out there, finds the right agent. All your dreams are coming true. Any way we can help you, we're, we're down with that, man. God bless you. Love you. Monoderma loves you. And uh, stay happy as you are. Oh, thank you, Nerod. I appreciate it so much. Okay, brother. <laughs> All the love. Well, well, well. I told you he's phenomenal. Phenomenal. He can write these things, transcribe these things, play them the way he plays them. Odd meters, whatever he's doing is incredible. God bless everybody today for watching the beautiful interview with Aubrey Dale. And stay tuned for our future uh, episodes coming up. Uh, God bless everybody. We love you so much. Stay encouraged. Stay happy. You know what I mean? Life is a gift. And uh, breathe deep. And this is your brother, Nardle Michael Say I love you so much. Bye-bye. Ow! Thank you, everybody, for watching this week's Modern Drummer Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode exclusively on Podcast One. Until then, stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening and watching. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.